Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Expectations about what makes a great customer experience are rising faster than most organizations can keep up with, and consumers are not afraid to walk away when their needs are not being met. The good news is that most organizations understand the gap that exists between expectations and delivery and are investing more to increase engagement. We have David Port, Managing Director of the Financial Services Area of Genesis on the Banking Transform podcast. David discusses how innovative organizations are redefining what's possible using digital technologies and artificial intelligence. According to research from Genesis, the financial services industry is trailing when it comes to a unified omnichannel strategy. Worse yet, nearly half either have no plans or have yet to make plans to put this in place. Alternatively, nearly 60% cite implementing a customer experience platform that integrates systems as a priority initiative. So, David, can you share a little bit more about why there are so many gaps that seem to exist in banking? between what customers and employees and even institutions say they want to do and what is actually happening? Um, Jim, absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. Um, If it's okay, before I get to the question, let me just give people in the audience two seconds about Genesis. So in terms of who we are, Genesis is a San Francisco-based technology company. Um, We've been in business for around 30 years. We do business worldwide. Our revenues are over $2 billion a year. We employ about 6,000 people. And um, we're still privately held. Now, in terms of what we do, if you call the 1-800 number on the back of your debit card or credit card um, or at the top of your brokerage account, the chances are it's Genesis technology that is powering that call, Uh, the data that's collected and called up, um, how notes are taken, how the call's recorded, uh, the actual banker training, et cetera. So we do all of that. And that would stop if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, Jim. But today, of course, we also power the SMS, text, email, voice, chatbots, voice bots, et cetera, uh, that uh, underpin so much of banking technology. So that's who we are and what we do in terms of our business model. In terms of why is there a disconnect between what banks say they want to do and what they're actually able to deliver, uh, I think there are three areas. And in our research, we found that over two-thirds of the CX leaders see internal silos as the biggest issue. Now, I think that means this. It means, first of all, most large banks have historic, complex, spaghetti technology and systems. And it's really hard to operate in those environments to undo them and redo them. That's just difficult. And if you want to take as a torture test, as a proof point, think of address change. Why is it so hard to change your address across like your credit card, your debit card, uh, your brokerage account, etc.? Well, it's because the core systems that uh, power, say, the card business come from TSIS. The core system in your deposit engine comes from Fiserv. Uh, your wealth business is powered by Broadridge and Pershing. So to get those three systems all to talk together at the same time and change your address seamlessly across all three, it's really hard to do. It's just hard. So there's no kind of... Um, Uh, malfeasance involved here. There's no kind of ill intent. It's just really hard to do that. Um, And finally, funding flexibility is difficult. Like you have um, a finite number of dollars to invest in technology. 
And frankly, for most banks these days, the majority of your technology investments are going to non-discretionary items, right? So the funding that you have available to change is difficult. Um, the good news in our research is that nearly 60% of financial institutions are prioritizing implementing new CX platforms that will integrate those data and systems. So people know about it, they're on it. It's just, it's just taking time for those reasons, Jim. Well, it doesn't help that the consumers actually changing their dynamic of definition of a good customer experience almost as we speak. In fact, your research shows that there's a very low tolerance for bad experience across all industries. But in financial services, as we discussed before we went on the air, customers don't always leave their bank or credit union the same way they leave their retailer. In fact, they sometimes diversify their relationships as opposed to actually closing a relationship. Is this silent attrition more concerning than an outright abandonment? It, it depends, Jim. So I used to work for Amex many years ago. And of course, if you have an Amex gold card, a platinum card, and you no longer want to use it, well, you will cancel the account because you don't want to pay the fee. If you have a brokerage account that, uh, you know, it took some time to open, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to open it, and you use the brokerage account, it's great, but then for whatever reason you switch, the switching tends to mean you will leave the account open. You simply transfer the funds. You ACAT it out into a different uh, brokerage or a banking platform. And so suddenly you have now a brokerage account that's still open, so there's no account attrition. But there is, as you call it, Jim, the silent attrition of all the money's gone, so the account no longer has value to you or to the bank. And you could, and I, I think I touched, I think I heard it in, in, in your question, why do those things take place? And I think there's three reasons as to why that takes place. And the first is there's just a natural human condition to try new, right? So as I mentioned, they worked for Amex for years and we could launch a new card product and it was awesome and people love it. But you still get 20 to 25% attrition after the first year. You just still get that. Secondly, within financial services specifically, loyalty usually relates to usage, right? And conditions change. So if you have a product that you no longer find useful or fits your life, you stop using it. So in effect, you have a tried it already, um, even if you then close the account and finally a tried. I mean, that's just what happens. Um, finally, in our research, um, we found that 77% of consumers will switch brands after five or fewer negative interactions with a brand's customer service. So that just speaks to poor customer experiences and poor CX. It plays a significant role in customer attrition. So your research shows that really the consumer's tolerance for bad experiences has gotten worse. Do you see this as a technology change where consumers are just more apt to know how technology works? Or is it somehow related to what happened in the pandemic? Or is that one of the same thing? Well, I think it gets back to have expectations changed um, over the last two, three years. And of course, the answer is, well, yes. But then why have they changed? You know, is it because big banks, A, have a much better website than brokerage firm B, right? And the answer, of course, is no. What's changing the expectations that clients have today is the experiences that they have in their everyday lives with Amazon or Uber or Google. And those companies are shaping the experiences that we want and like to have in our daily lives. 
And of course, so many of those experiences are really good. Um, and for banking, that means that the bar continually gets kind of reset and raised. And that's the challenge when you're dealing with all of the kind of complex infrastructures and regulatory burdens that other industries don't have. And as I mentioned, in terms of the infrastructures, it just takes time to get them all turned around. So th that's, I think, the reasons. You know, you, you, your research also talks quite a bit about the importance of an on-the-channel experience. Can you share some of your findings around that and why consumers find that to be so important? Sure. Now, I'm going to give you an example from a particular industry. And in this case, we'll go with wealth management in terms of like what's omni-channel. And I like to use this example with folks, you know, what would Beyonce do if she wants to uh, uh, kind of buy a 10,000 shares in Apple? Well, if she wants to do that, she'll probably do it for herself and she'll do it on her bank's app in real time, just like us. And then she'll transfer the funds to her trading account on her phone. She'll text her advisor to tell her that she thinks Apple's a great buy. Then she'll still call her advisor to tell her what she wants to do tomorrow. And then the advisor sets up a 30-minute Wednesday video call where they chat and interact with each other and hear about each other's uh, investment ideas and then go off and play some real-time trades. And what I just talked about there were like five or six different channels, voice, texting, video calling, um, core platforms working. And they're, they're all much better if they work kind of seamlessly together. And when we say omni-channel, that's, I think, really what we mean. Like a consumer doesn't know what that means. Beyonce doesn't know what it means. But it means all of those communication devices that you uh, want to now uh, use when you interact with your bank are available and you use them and you want them all to work together. And they're much better, obviously, if they work together, if the devices, the patterns, the actions um, are all joined up, monitored to meet SEC and FINRA requirements. So designing the kind of omni-channel experience to be smooth, obviously, is just that important. Now, our research found that nearly a third of customers actually abandoned brands for competitors last year due to poor experiences. And back to the omni-channel point, uh, Jim, the three most frustrating customer experiences that folks were having, it's the classics, drop calls, an inability to connect from a chatbot to a live agent, then within the call center environment, re reaching a dead end in the menus, which are all horribly undesirable, both for us in our everyday lives and of course for Beyonce too, as she tries to make her trades. Um, so that omni-channel experiencing um, kind of experience that you need to make as seamless and easy to do business with as possible, it just, it takes some time. It takes some time because of the infrastructures that banks are working with that we've touched upon. It takes time to get right because of regulatory burdens and requirements, et cetera. So when you look at the financial service industry, what are some of the key strategies that you see that financial institutions can use to improve the customer experience in a short-term window and in a longer-term window? In the short term, I think having a prioritization of resources is super important. Like you've got to have a plan. Um, and it means that uh, your resources are laid out across technology, operations, IT, um, your digital teams to work together um, against shared common goals. So that commonality of goal is important. In the slightly longer term, I think it's important to kind of stay ahead of what consumers both want and demand from you today, but also to stay ahead of what they might anticipate that they'd like to see in the future. 
And so in my role at Genesis, you know, I travel around the world and I see a lot of different banks and a lot of different innovations. So for large banks in the US, I think it's super important to constantly travel and kind of mystery shop experiences from all around the world. And of course, great experiences in banking and today, I'm afraid, not being originated in North America or Europe. They're coming from crazy places like New Zealand, like Israel, Turkey. That's where you find really crazy things and interesting things happening. And at the same time, of course, you know, you've got to keep researching your clients. I mean, as we're doing with their own research, you have to keep asking them what they're looking for. And by don't ask them, of course, like, what do you want from your bank? Because they'll always say the same thing. They'll say, well, we want better service, better products, lower fees and better returns. Right. And they'll always say the same thing. But ask them for what do they see yeah. as great client kind of and experiential changes and improvements that they see in their lives and then go and look at those things. And then I think we'll give you an answer in terms of what your longer term strategies and alignments need to be. So, you know, we're at a time when organizations are trying to determine how to leverage all different kinds of channels, digital channels, digital communication channels, legacy channels, chat, live interactions. Have you found a mix or a formula for what channels are the most effective or do you have a perception on, you know, where organizations really have to up their game? Oh, sure. Well, if you think about everyday transactions, Jim, like obviously ask any banker in consumer banking, let's just go with that as the example, teller volumes down, ATM volumes down, dot-com volumes down. Where's all the volume gone? Right. Well, we know where it's gone. It's, it's all gone to mobile. Right. So that's that's where the transactional volume has been right. going. Now, when something goes wrong, our research interestingly says that voice remains customers' number one preferred channel for engaging with organizations, preferred channel. However, for the first time, email has taken over as the most used. So there's probably some kind of demographical shift and change. And of course, banking takes a long time to change. Voice is final is still preferred because, of course, you know, who are you surveying? Well, you're going to get folks that, um, you know, have certain preferences. Emails finally kind of taking over as the most used within our survey uh, um, kind of findings. But we also find emails in the bottom half of the channels that customers actually feel satisfied with, you know, likely because of the slower response times. So I guess the answer is channel preferences and mix is changing. Um, the there is new technology coming through now in terms of like chat bots voice bots and think of how we feel about using these things five years ago they were terrible right i mean it would be i'm asking a question online like um something's wrong with my credit card and the answer from a chat bot would be david you're interested in credit cards and they'll give you a link to the website to sell you a credit card that was a chat bot it was terrible right now they've got much much better they're, right. they're really they're, they've really come a long way um so that kind of experiential improvement um is the type of thing of course that banks are really closely monitoring and wanting to see much more of um so i think our own consumer adoption is changing in that space too so channels are changing frequency of use is changing um what isn't changing is volume everyone's contacting the bank more volumes are way up actually overall <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's not just about things that are going wrong. I mean, sometimes it's just interactions. And we're seeing a movement away, not away from customer experience, but the concept of customer experience really re evolving towards customer engagement, the, the back and forth discussions. You know, you, you mentioned chat and we mentioned the future of chat. How do you see chat GPT and, and conversational AI 
changing the customer experience and customer engagement equation? Well, so first of all, there are large banks out there like JP Morgan Chase who have said, globally, our staff are not to use this tool, right? And there was a research note from Morgan Stanley last week that said, hey, when you actually have a complex question and you plug it into chat GPT, it can hallucinate and give you a really convincing sounding but actually incorrect answer. (laughs) So that's just some large bank perspective. Now, in terms, though, of if you kind of take that to one side and, well, where are the areas of where something like kind of chat GPT can be impactful in banking? Well, obviously, customer service, um, obviously, um, you know, fraud detection, um, risk, wealth management, financial planning. Um, there's a huge array of opportunities for applications in that space because of the ability to kind of crunch, you know, so much volume very quickly with really smart algorithms that turn it into meaningful information. Um, a couple of weeks back, they issued like the next version, like Chat GPT four, and I don't know whether you saw, but it has really smart graphical capabilities, right? So, with graphical capability, of course, it means you can, I don't know, pull weather patterns on the west coast for the last thirty years, and pull car sales for the last thirty years, and find the correlations between the two, and then you can predict out car sales based on weather patterns for the next three weeks, right? <laughs> or something like that, which of course would have been the job of yeah. investment banking analyst up until three days ago, right? Um, now, it still will be right. because JP Morgan says no chat GPT, but you can see the future unfolding there. Um, so I think there's a whole bunch of opportunities. Um, there are areas like sentiment tracking that, you know, banks are kind of interested in right now. But, you know, more advanced sentiment tracking, um, I think, will be useful for the bank, for the client, uh, for everyone. Um, you know, how we're feeling, the words we use, can they be indicative of fraud or stress or happiness? What could that mean for a bank in terms of not a marketing campaign, but in terms of CX, product offers and support over the next six months? Um, so I think the type of capability that is starting to be investigated now is going to be super useful over the next couple of years. So let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back. I'm joined today by David Porter, Managing Director of Financial Services at Genesis. We've been discussing recent customer satisfaction research done by Genesis and how financial institutions should prioritize customer experience investments in the future. So David, what are the biggest barriers to success you see in the financial services industry achieving major progress in customer experience? Oh, the barriers. Um, well, we've, t- we've touched upon some of them. Um, some of them are kind of people-related, right? Um, and there's a concern, and by that what I mean is that there's a concern in banking that the most innovative forward-thinking like younger talent is going to work for a fintech or for Google or Microsoft, not for a bank anymore. That's a concern, but I don't know it's necessarily true. I think, you know, smart people will look at a JP Morgan Chase or a Bank of America and say these are fabulous places to work, and they are. Um, 
regulation is both a blessing and a curse. Like you can't do business without it. There's the blessing. And of course, you want a stable, well-regulated financial system. The curse is for many banks, it's awfully expensive um, and uh, really difficult to keep every single regulatory agency happy all at the same time. In fact, some CEOs, I'm sure, would say it's next to impossible. So that's hard. And of course, it's expensive. And that burden takes attention away from innovation. So that's both a blessing and a curse. Um, technology is expensive. Um, and that means that technology improvement at scale is expensive, which is why you see so many mergers these days. Um, it's much easier to spread those costs over a much larger client base. Um, I think some other barriers are more... Um, Large banks like to do things at scale in the same way, repeatable, same process, right? Um, and that's beautiful, but it's kind of a barrier to real innovation too. So again, it's a blessing and a curse. So I don't think there are these huge one-off blockers, Jim. I think that there are just nuances that make change difficult, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, change sucks, as I say often on this podcast, that, you know, it's the biggest challenge financial institutions have is to change the way they've done things in the past when they don't feel like they're broken, but when they really are. Um, Correct. You know, speaking of things that seem broken, um, we often talk about delivering personalized experiences. We also define personalization differently across different channels. How does the consumer define personalized experiences and which experiences would be most valuable to them going forward with regard to that whole humanized or personalized experience? So, Jim, I bet you get correspondence from your bank that used to say, dear valued client, right? And now it says, dear Jim. And you're like, oh, that's nice. And it is nice. It's friendly. But it's not personalization. It's, it's just really not. So I think it needs a better definition. And, and most folks in banking are concerned. It's a buzzword right now, let's face it. So the definition, the way I would think about it, is truly unique personalization in banking happens when the customer-facing employees and digital technologies provide the right solutions for each customer to help them immediately. And then with more advanced applications of personalization, banks can actually anticipate customers' needs in advance, right? Um, you had a credit card decline, you uh, contact your bank, whether it's a chatbot or call, and the bank says to you, Jim, your credit card was just declined. We think there's a problem with it. Do you want to uh, have a new card? You go, oh, yeah, I do. Actually, you just anticipated your need. That was real personalization, that little story right there. And we did a survey um, actually a few weeks back, it was the Financial Times Longitudinal Study. And in terms of the banks that were considered CX leaders by their peers, there were four things that made them stand out in this space. Firstly, tailoring the products and services to the real-time needs and life stages of the customers, which is kind of what I just said. Then matching advisors to the right customers. Thirdly, being available on the channel that customers want when they want it. And then fourthly, using individual data patterns to drive the offers or experiences, right? The, um, the kind of marketing, if you like. Now, the, so that's kind of like, I think where personalization stands. Um, now the banks that get it right 
obviously have the potential to unlock a lot more revenue opportunity. And our research found that nearly 80% of customers will recommend an organization to others if they receive constantly personalized experience, just like the ones I just described. Um, so I think that's kind of important. Like I, I think that's a key to the future. Now you, you can think about personalization yeah, in so many ways. I mean, yeah. uh, well, imagine if you're walking through Best Buy and your phone beeps and says, "Jim, to you, this flat screen TV isn't like nine hundred and fifty dollars. It's nine hundred and two dollars, just because of who you are and your loyalty as a client." That would be pretty cool. So I, I think that kind of personalization of kind of offers, experiences, service. Um, financial um, uh, kind of integration with your everyday kind of needs in life. I think that's where the future is going to be. It's interesting because it really gets down to, and you referenced in your research, empathetic experiences, you know, show that you really are looking out for me as a person, as opposed to a segment or as opposed to the entire customer base with uh, customer experience talk as opposed to really showing that you understand what my needs are. And it's interesting because we have found in our research that consumers are more willing to share information the more you do with it and show them the benefit. It's a value, a value proposition, a value transfer proposition. So from a technology standpoint, what technology initiatives are being used from your perspective to support the strategic priorities around customer experience? So from a Genesis standpoint, obviously, we're spending a lot of time in terms of um, getting our products and platforms into cloud-based environments. And the cloud-based environments, of course, are cheaper for banks, um, more efficient. And of course, some of the best engineers will want to work in, in cloud. So you get like better connectivity with kind of talent and engineering resource. So that's kind of an internal perspective. From a client's perspective, they don't care about that. What they will care about is when once you're in a cloud environment, you can connect uh, systems together very easily in the APIs. You can connect Genesis with Adobe, with Salesforce, with your uh, core TSIS systems. And when you connect those things together in a cloud-based environment, the client ends up having a really smooth, seamless experience in terms of what they're actually um, uh, uh, experiencing. So I think that kind of technology uh, switch is super important. And our research kind of really shows that that kind of digital focus, um, uh, migration into the cloud, and kind of client journey orchestration is uh, super important right now, both for us as a company, uh, for clients themselves, and for banks. Finally, what's the biggest opportunity out there for financial institutions as they try to up their game in the customer experience marketplace? So. I think it's important to understand well what do consumers and customers value the most, right? And the, the banks that understand that the best will, I think, do the best. So you could say, well, David, that's a cop-out. Like, what do customers want the most? And of course, the answer is, well, it depends, right? It depends on the age demographics. You know, are you a Gen Z, a millennial, a boomer? It depends on are you a consumer, a small business, a corporate? But everyone wants to have a trusted brand and easy to use products that work well. Right? Everyone wants that, regardless of those factors above. And the bank that consistently delivers in that space, I think is going to do really well. Then when something does go wrong or you do have questions, our research actually has found that having really fast response times, 
and having issues that get resolved during the first interaction, those are really two incredibly important elements for a great client experience. Um, so if you get those things right, then I think you'll be in a good spot. David, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, we're going to reference and have a link to the research in our show notes so that people can actually access the research you've done. But again, we really appreciate you spending some time talking about something that we talk about a lot, but do less than we probably need to do. And as we reference both of us in different parts of this podcast, the reality is the, the customer's expectations are not being driven by other financial institutions. They're being driven by all these other industries that are doing extraordinarily well at delivering data-driven decisioning and experiences almost ahead of the time I worry about my experience. So thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your preferred podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Hasledge, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember that to increase loyalty, organizations must be more people-centric. In addition, they must have a unified approach to both customer experiences and employee experiences. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.